Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit CARON.org slash lost. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. I forgive them for the mornings when I wake up from a walking dream thinking I can walk only to fall straight to the floor. I forgive them for the fact that I no longer remember what it feels like to stand on my own two feet. I forgive them for taking away the moment when I get married and being able to walk arm in arm down the aisle with my dad. I forgive them for all the pain I have when I sit on the ground and crawl up and down the stairs in my home every day. I forgive them for everything. I like to set the record straight though, I did walk down the aisle with my dad, arm in arm. Because, you know what? We're limitless. Life is a journey, and most of it is spent in the in-between, in the middle places. But every once in a while, you find yourself on the other side of something. These are the stories we are telling here. We believe that stories change the world, and we hope that when you hear stories of lives changed, obstacles overcome, lives broken, lives mended, and hope found, you'll actually see yourself in their stories. Now more than ever, we need each other, and we need each other's stories. This is On the Other Side. Hey there, welcome to this episode of On the Other Side. We are your hosts. I'm Aaron Ivey. And I'm Jamie Ivey. And we are really excited about our guest today. We know that you are going to love Mallory Wegeman. She just wrote a book called Limitless, where she tells her story about the power of hope and resilience to overcome circumstance. And let me tell you, her story is laced with her overcoming all kinds of circumstances that would cause most people to tap out or just give up. You see, on January 21st in 2008, Mallory sustained an injury that left her paralyzed from the waist down. And I love the way you're going to hear her talk about this in the podcast about she called it her sudden moment of impact. And she says that we all have that. And as we were interviewing her, Erin, I started to think, well, she's so right. We all have these moments that are kind of this defining moment. And we can choose to either go through it with resilience and full of hope, or we can choose not to have hope and to live in despair. And Mallory did not do that for sure. No, she did not. Actually, less than two years later, right after her procedure that left her paralyzed from the waist down, Mallory had broken eight world records. And by 2012 for the Paralympic Games, she held 15 world records and 34 American records. Two years later, a devastating fall severely damaged her left arm. You're going to hear Mallory talk about that, but she refused to give up. 
After reconstructive surgeries, extended rehab, she went on to win two more golds and a silver at the 2019 Para Swimming Championships. This woman is incredible, and we know that you are going to love hearing her story of extraordinary resilience. Mallory, welcome to On the Other Side. Thank you so much for having me. This is so great. I was telling you before we started recording that I've been reading your book, Limitless, which released this year in 2021. And I have enjoyed so much about just hearing your story. I, I think stories really change the world. And your dad would tell you all the time, go change the world. And, and you are. But your story is not only just like your story of what you've been through, but it is so inspiring. And I, and I know that you probably enjoy hearing that or you wouldn't have wrote your story out there to with the hopes of inspiring yeah. people. But I would love for you to take us and the listeners way back to where this part of your story began on January 21st, 2008. So can you take us back there and tell us about that day? Yeah, of course. You know, it, it's interesting. For years, I've referred to that day as my sudden moment of impact. And mm -hmm. and I think we all have them. And at the root of it, we've all experienced triumph, but we've also experienced tragedy and trauma and loss and adversity. And we know those depths, whatever the circumstances were for us, we all know them. And so I think that was a lot of why I decided to share my story, you know, saying inspiration, it's wanting to make January 21st, 2008 be something that that carried a purpose. Mm -hmm. And so for me, you know, I was just 18 years old. That was two months before my 19th birthday. And I walked into a medical procedure that was supposed to be pretty simple and straightforward. I was going to walk out that afternoon and be back at class Tuesday morning. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, I didn't walk out of that room that day. Unfortunately, uh, due to complications in the procedure I was having, I was left paralyzed from the waist down. And instead of going home that afternoon to return to class Tuesday morning, I was admitted to the hospital where I stayed mm -hmm. for about six weeks as I started learning terms like spinal cord injury and paralysis and learning what transferring meant and how to get in and out of a wheelchair, how to move about in a wheelchair basically everything I never thought I would have to learn again. Right. Right. You know, getting dressed, sitting up like the basics. And so for me, that's, that was my sudden moment of impact. There was no forewarning. There was no anticipation that that was a possible outcome of what we were going through. And so it, it really came out of left field, if you will. And that was really tough. I mean, I think if we all take ourselves back to those moments, our version of our sudden moments of impact in our lives, whatever they may be, we still here today can feel the emotions and the weight of that moment mm, in our lives. Yeah. And that was something that took time to move through and navigate. But here we are 13 years later, which is, it's crazy to me that wow. it's been that long. And and for me, I look at January 21st, 2008. Yes, it was my sudden moment of impact, but in a lot of ways, it put me on the path that I am for where I'm at in my life today. Mm, yeah. And, and I think that's, that's sometimes that perspective is important to have and realizing that, you know, adversity is a part of our evolution. It's a part of how we explore our truths while also discovering that inner strength that we all have. And it's ultimately what leads us into who we are meant to be all along. Yeah. 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 So you talk about in your book, Limitless, about a year later after that, uh, you're heading off to college and you are had this brand new life and your parents are dropping you off at a university that you've got to navigate on your own, now in a wheelchair on wheels and not on two feet. And I look at your life as I'm listening to you and reading your book and I think, 
I mean, there had to have been some things that, unbeknownst to you, really set you up for this next part of your life, the rest of your life. You have a great family. You have parents that were supportive, great sisters. You had this foundation. How much do you think that affected the way you looked at January 21st, 2008 and the rest of your life? You know, and I, th- I think in a lot of ways you're spot on. I, I was really fortunate when my injury happened that I, I had this, this community in place. Right. And so, you know, un- unfortunately, and you could probably argue maybe in this situation, fortunately, my family and I had navigated through other adversities prior to my mm. paralysis. And so when I was injured, well, it was, you know, earth shattering in so many ways, it, it wasn't all encompassing. Like there was the perspective to know I'm alive Mm. and well, my life is going to look different and there's going to be an adjustment and a learning curve for certain I'm here and I get it. Right. Right. And, and Mm. I think that perspective was really powerful, but I think in addition to that, I had seen firsthand the power of community to wrap themselves around and, and carry us through an extremely challenging time in our lives And so when I was paralyzed, it was like, I have that safety net. Mm. I've seen it. I've seen it play out before. I understand that, that we are beyond fortunate. I have two loving parents, two phenomenal sisters. We have an extremely supportive community wrapped around us and, and there's power in numbers. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of community. They really help us through all things. And so it really helped. And ultimately my, my moving away to school, it was, it was interesting. I, I didn't go into it knowing what to expect. And, and I was a little afraid. I mean, I hadn't even been paralyzed a year. I was like three weeks shy of my one year anniversary when I moved into the dorm. My parents thought I was crazy. I sprung it on them. And fortunately for me, I had parents who had the courage to let go twice. They let wow. go, you know, and I was growing up as a kid and here I was 19, newly paralyzed, and they had to let go of their baby girl. And thank goodness that they did that because it allowed me to move through in a way that, that really ultimately helped me realize that moving on wasn't the objective anymore. It was just learning how to move forward and, and embrace hmm. us as a part of my identity while also not allowing it to be my defining factor. That's yeah. beautiful. You know, resilience is this word that a, a lot of stories that we've been invited into with stories of trauma or stories of having to overcome something really big in their life, that word resilience. And I'm just wondering, did resilience show up immediately? You know, when you wake up and your your legs don't work, was resilience there? Or is resilience something that you had to kind of find, you know, in that year, year and a half? You know, I, I think it's something we have to build upon. I really do. I, I don't, I don't know that I believe that resilience is something that's just like that. It, yeah. It's something that's, that's gained by experience and by navigating through circumstance. And I would say that early in my paralysis, I had developed it prior. And I think we all have it within us. We just don't tap into the full potential of it until circumstance hits and we're forced to Mm. navigate through that. And then through that process, we build upon it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And, and I really think it was something that, that I had to build. And I think we all do. And, And that comes in the choosing to show up 
And, and I had a really pivotal decision after my injury, when I got home from the hospital of, am I going to get out of bed tomorrow morning, my first night home, or am I going to sit here? Like, and as silly as that sounds, and, and mind you at that time, I wasn't doing anything earth shattering with my life. It was like, literally, am I going to get out of bed? That was on the plan for the day. But I knew that that choice would set the pace for my future for the Mm. days, weeks, and months to come. And I think that's where resilience steps in is when we constantly, regardless of the circumstances surrounding us, we constantly make that choice over and over and over again, whether we get knocked down 10 times over and still choose to keep getting back up or whether we experience the highest heights, like winning a Paralympic gold medal and choose to get back up. Like resilience is that just consistent choice to show up day in and day out. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I was just curious, not many people have the story of this is what happened. And then now I'm an Olympic athlete. And I'm wondering, like, did you see that coming? Was that a goal of yours? Or did this resilience just turn into like, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take on the whole world? Like, how did it? How did it turn into that? You know, I laugh because my, my coach who's coaching me now, he's been coaching me since 2014. And he kind of came into the fold through a secondary injury, but long and short, Steve was my high school swim coach. And he no was my coach when I was a kid and I'm the baby of three girls and my two older sisters swam competitively as well. And he coached them through high school. Wow. And so I've known him since I was like a seven year old kid, just coming into the sport. And then after I graduated high school, prior to my paralysis, we just kind of stayed in touch, but I never thought he would coach me again. Mm-hmm. And so in 2014, when we, when we kind of came back together and decided to keep fighting for this dream, we, we kind of rekindled that. And it was really funny because we've had so many moments since then over the years, especially now as we're marching and in, into the Tokyo games of just this idea that like, wow, would you have ever thought of all the athletes, I would be the one that's getting ready for their third Paralympic games. And we laughed because I was, I was a, you know, competitive swimmer and I loved the sport and the passion probably was the biggest thing that fueled me. But, you know, while I was varsity four years in high school, I, I didn't go to state. I wasn't Mm -hmm. a D one, you know, route athlete when I graduated and now here we are. And I, I think back to that time when I got back in following my paralysis And I returned to the water just two and a half months after my injury. And, you know, I didn't get in thinking, oh, I'm going to go become a Paralympic champion. I got in because I was just, I was just trying to make sense of my life and I needed somewhere to go. I needed a place that was my place. And when I went back to the pool, it was my reminder that, well, it felt like everything in my life had changed. Not everything had, because at the end of the day, chlorine smells like chlorine, no matter where Mm. in the world you go or what you're going through. The black line that trails the bottom of every pool you'll ever see is the same. And so there were, there were elements that were constant for me at a time where nothing felt constant. Mm. And, and that's really why I got back in. And, and as I hovered that black line day in and day out, we found out I actually pretty darn good at it. Yeah. And I yeah. made the US national team like a year later and then it became let's see. And and it's interesting because I think initially in those first 4 years as I marched towards the London 2012 games in a lot of ways 
the motivation was that of a very lost, hurt, and afraid young woman who was just trying to figure out putting the pieces of her life back together. Mm. And over the black line, it was the place I could control. And it was that I couldn't control January 21st, 2008. But when I swam, I could control everything about it. And I could control if I got faster every time I hit the wall and if that clock was quicker. And I became addicted to that. And I felt like every time I swam faster and every time I was able to make quicker intervals, I was proving and fighting against this notion that now that I lived with a disability, I was somehow, quote unquote, incapable of being. Mm. And, and that, that honestly, I mean, I remember breaking my first world record and I was like, well, huh. must not be all that disabled. Let's go do it <laughs> <Yeah>. again. <laughs> when it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Heck yeah. You mentioned, you know, community playing such a, a role. Did you have anybody telling you like, ah, you can't do this. You, you need to stop trying to do this. Or, or were people around you like, you got this? Like, what did that look like? You know, I think there's, there's a mix, right? My, my tight knit community was always my biggest cheerleader and always has been and still is today. But I would be lying if I said I didn't have doubters. I mean, society mm. was was really tough after my paralysis. And, and how we perceive disability in our society is something that, that was challenging in 2008 and frankly is still challenging today. I had to learn really quickly to get tough skin with that because I realized that society wasn't as encouraging. Society wanted to put me in a box. Society mm-hmm. wanted to tell me that this wasn't for me, that quote unquote, people like me aren't doing these things like mm-hmm. every step of the way. And, and still to this day, I mean, my husband and I are at the point where post Tokyo, we really want to start a family and I would love to continue my athletic career as a mom. And, you know, society has their own, own ideas of what it means to be a mother with a disability. And it, hmm. it's challenging, but I think with that, it's also important to realize whether you're navigating through disability or trauma or loss or whatever it is in life, other people's perceptions of who you are and what you're capable of and their ideas of how you should feel or shouldn't feel, frankly, don't matter. And and at the end of the day, it's like, that's them projecting their own insecurities, their own unconscious bias, and frankly, probably their own ignorance onto you. And it's not yours to carry. And And I had to learn that at a really young age, because if I listened to society's version of what my life should be, I probably wouldn't be married. 
I wouldn't be doing a fraction of the things that I am doing. And and most of all, I wouldn't be happy. Mm. Mm, so good. You talk um, a lot about having to kind of grieve things in your life. And I think that sometimes when people go through a traumatic event, a, an injury, an accident, whatever it might be, and, and I love how you said we all have these moments. What did that look like for you of grieving what was and also fully confident that this is who you are and this is the best and you are, you know, doing all the things and I think you said in the book, and I don't want to misquote you, something about like me um, in a wheelchair is who I, this is me. This is part of my identity on now. And and I even saw another interview where you said you wouldn't change anything from January 21st. So what does it look like to grieve that and have such a strong commitment to your identity as well? You know, in that, I think first things first, it's super important to say one of the biggest things I learned through the grieving process that really helped me was understanding that it is possible to feel two things simultaneously. Yes. And I had to figure that out and figure it out quick and be okay with that because back to the conversation we were just having, we talk about society's perception and kind of the things that were being forced on me. It goes hand in hand with grieving because in my opinion, what I experienced was after my injury, society wanted to tell me, You can't be happy too soon after trauma. Mm. And then if it's been too long after that moment or season of your life, society wants to tell you, well, just get over it already. Don't be sad. Happy now. Don't be sad. And it's like, wow, is that not just a bunch of BS or what? Like, no, you, you can be hit 20 years later on a random Tuesday and, and you deserve to just be in that moment and you you get that or you yeah. find joy two weeks later while you're still in the hospital adjusting because you just got to see yourself in a mirror for the first time and yeah. have a piece of your dignity back. And, and I think that was really vital in the grieving process for me and something that I encourage a lot of people, like you just have to give yourself permission to be what it is that mm. you need to be in that moment. Not what everyone else is telling you need to think or feel or do, but just, just listen to yourself and honor that a little bit because mm. that's what you're working through as you grieve. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I wouldn't change January 21st, 2008. And, and honestly, top of the list reason, I wouldn't know my husband if it weren't for my paralysis. Mm. And we are building a beautiful life together. And I cannot imagine my life without him. Mm-hmm. But that's not to say that I don't have moments where waking up to the wheelchair by my bedside isn't hard just yeah. because I've embraced it as a part of my identity and I'm proud of it doesn't mean it can't also be challenging. Right. And I think that's part of the deal with trauma and with loss and and accepting it doesn't mean the emotions that surround that moment in our lives just magically disappear. That's so good. I love it. Mallory, one of the most moving moments to me while listening to you read your book was when you came upon the four-year anniversary of your injury and in where you live in in Minnesota, four years would have been the moment where you could no longer um, go forward with legal, you couldn't sue the doctors or whatever. And you had to make this decision whether you wanted to do that or not. And, and, and ultimately, you decided not to. But you got to go and sit down 
and talk to people mm-hmm. uh, that were head of the medical system where you had been treated. And I cried when I heard this part of your book. You know, you're spot on. My four-year anniversary was the statute of limitations. So that meant after that date, I could no longer proceed with legal action. And, and my family and I ultimately decided that I needed to move forward. And if I was constantly in the long, arduous process of fighting, I would be constantly brought back. And mm-hmm. I was young. I mean, I was 18. I was old enough to understand the magnitude of it, but young enough that the decisions we made following my paralysis would be really imperative to what my future could be for me. Yeah. And, and it was one of those things where I, I realized that there's a lot of weight in allowing yourself to heal. And, and healing for me didn't mean I needed to get up and walk again. Healing for me was spiritually and emotionally and mentally and learning how to trust again and learning how to mm. forgive. And ultimately, I realized that in order to do so, I needed to create my own closure. Because for years, I had this mindset that, that closure was something that was kind of given to you. And, mm. and I was constantly spinning out, seeking it and seeking it. And, and I kept coming up empty-handed And I didn't know how to truly let go and move forward without that closure. And so I finally realized that sometimes we just have to go out and create it for ourselves. No one's going to give it to us. And the number one way I could create that closure was by letting go of that anger and finding the courage to forgive something Hmm. that for years I call, I, I, in my mind thought was probably the most unforgivable thing. And, and there's a lot of events that surround that day and the moments in, in those four walls that 13 years later, I still don't have answers for. And yeah. that's really tough to wake up every day and look at a wheelchair and know you, you don't really 100% know why. But this was a pivotal moment in that. And so I, I wrote this journal probably a few months before my anniversary. And five days after my anniversary, I, I went in and met with the administrators Hmm. And I wrote, if given the chance, I would tell them that I forgive them for taking a part of me that I can never get back. I forgive them for all the pain and suffering that they caused my family and I. I forgive them for imprinting the image of being paralyzed in my dad's eyes. I forgive them for the thud that I hear over and over again from when my legs dropped lifeless on the procedure table that day. I forgive them for the flashbacks I had for months of the very moment that I was paralyzed. I forgive them for the years I went to bed and cried myself to sleep every night because none of it made sense. I forgive them for the mornings when I wake up from a walking dream thinking I can walk only to fall straight to the floor. I forgive them for the confusion I have every morning I wake up and can't get out of bed without having my chair there to remind me of the reality. I forgive them for the fact that I no longer remember what it feels like to stand on my own two feet. I forgive them for those days when winter turns to spring and all I want to do is go for a run and can't. I forgive them for taking away the moment when I get married and being able to walk arm in arm down the aisle with my dad. I forgive them for what my children will go through. I forgive them for the fact that I won't be able to teach my kids how to ride a bike or kick a soccer ball. I forgive them for all the pain I have when I sit on the ground and crawl up and down the stairs in my home every day. I forgive them for the fact that I can't feel the sand between my toes anymore, for the fact that I can't just take a walk on the beach. I forgive them for everything. I'd like to set the record straight, though. I did walk down the aisle with my dad, arm in arm, Mm -hmm. because 
you know what? We're limitless. Mm. Oh, so good. So good. Thanks for thanks for reading that. Yeah, I I I love the what you set this up with too about choosing that closure. And, and I know I keep saying it, but we all have these moments. It's not like this is your story, but I have a story, and Aaron has a story, and every listener that's listening has this story. And there mm-hmm. are times that we have to say we get to have the power over this closure. And I know that that gave you the power back. It yeah. gave you back the power that you felt had been taken from you. And so I love that. I would like to talk Olympics because this is so exciting. Can you set the record straight? How many records do you have? How many have you broken? How many medals? Tell us all of the stats about your amazing swimming career. All the stats. Okay. So I am a Paralympic gold and bronze medalist. I am a SB winner. I am a 15-time world champion. I have oh height of my career. I've held 15 different world records simultaneously wow. and 34 American. I've broken them this is going to sound ridiculous. We stopped counting because there would literally be competitions where I'd swim like the 400 free and I would break the 50 free, the 100 free, the 200 free, and the 400 free all in one race. And oh my back and gosh. do it again. So that's yeah. like eight records in one day if you really want to count them all. In we do. Technicality. I um, love it. So, <laughs> and and I'm, I'm a three-time Paralympian, which is just crazy. It's extraordinary. About. And Gosh. yeah, so now Tokyo, six events on the program that I'm going to be racing. I'm ranked going in top three and five of my six events. And you better believe on that sixth one, I am marching my way up those rankings. Come on. So, yeah. Yeah. We're excited. This is, this is so very exciting. Did you want me to get your medals? From <laughs> no. your- Mallory, I ran in the junior Olympics when I was in high school. And so when the Olympics, like the junior, it's like, I don't know if swimming had it, but in running, we have like, you know, TAC and AAU and all those kind of things. And I ran in the junior Olympics when I was <laughs> in high school. And I, every four years, I put my, sit my children down. We have four kids. And I'm like, your mom is an Olympian. <laughs> and they're like, they literally like, mom, no, you're not. You're not and I was an like, no, no, no. I, when I was in ninth grade, I ran in the junior Olympics. And I'm like, mom, you're dumb. You are not an Olympian. Not and same. so I let the, it's a joke around our house that the Olympics are here and I'm going to get my medals out. So it's oh, kind of funny. It's also funny you say that because I joke with my husband all the time. I have no plans on retiring anytime soon. So LA 2028 is like, basically right around the corner yeah they land and so i'm like i'm competing in those games i don't care if i'm 39 (laughs) yeah come on whatever we're doing it if anybody can you can yeah yes and so we we talk about this all the time i'm like and by then hopefully we have we have kids yeah Mm -hmm. multiple yeah and i was like i don't think our kids are gonna think i'm cool i think they're just gonna be like (laughs) mom seriously like haven't you done enough You've been to enough games. Just hang it up. Yeah. You're not cool yeah. anymore. Let's go to do my soccer tournament this weekend. Totally. Mallory, just so you know, it doesn't matter what you do. Your they kids will think not think you're, you're cool. cool. <laughs> they're going to be like, it's really no. to think about, but they're just, it's, no. I mean, but then one one day though, yeah, one day they'll get old enough and be like, my mom was awesome. (laughs) I just didn't know it. But well, this is, uh, you know, this will come out post Tokyo, but you're a month out at the time of this recording of of heading in. And when you land in Tokyo and you head in and you go to your first race, I mean, what are you thinking about that first time in the water when you go for your first race? Because you've accomplished so much. You've overcome so many things. Like you said, people thought there's no way you can do this. Be sad. This your life is destined to misery. Do you think about those things when you jump in that water? I don't anymore. 
which is hmm. amazing because I used, it's good when I get in anticipating what that first race is going to feel like I I'm right now let's just preface it right now every emotion is high every emotion hmm. is heightened like you could look at me the wrong way and I'll probably start crying just like yeah. <laughs> not in sadness but just I'm like overwhelmed with this journey and and yeah. everything hmm. that has gone into it and and to like put it into context in a quick way that would make sense. So I won gold on September 2nd, 2012. I had a permanent injury to my left arm in 2014, sustained nerve mm. damage in a fall. We thought in May of- Not around swimming? Not around swimming. Wow. Traveling for work and the accessible shower bench in the hotel ripped out from the wall and it dropped oh me to my. the ground. And I sustained permanent nerve damage. I've had two surgeries to my arm to remove muscles, like open up the nerve space, all kinds of stuff. So spring of 2014, I was like, there's no way there's no path forward. I can't even get myself dressed or drive my car, let alone wheel my wheelchair, let alone swim. Swim. Like in what world is this possible? Yeah. Hmm. So we fought for it. I showed up every day. Some days it was like 15 minutes in the pool and I could hardly make it through my lap. But we showed up. I made it to the Rio 2016 games. I swam in seven events. I did not medal in Rio. My final race was probably the most memorable moment of my career. And it came with a fifth place finish. And I am so stinking proud of that 200 I am. Yeah. September 17th, 2016. Because for me, it showed that success is about something so much more than accolades. Hmm. And I had my family there. I had my fiance, now husband there, his family. I mean, it it was everything you could dream of. And I don't think a medal would have changed that. And so I came home. We thought that, you know, our dream was like Tokyo, but I even left Rio and I was talking about Tokyo. And we went through the process of, of the fall and through all the exciting wedding things. My husband and I got married in December. I took a few months out of the pool And in January, we hit the new year with the news like, yeah, you're not getting back in the pool. Mm -hmm. Your body is, it needs some work done. So I went in and had two surgeries. I was out for two years and we came back. And so take all of that. And then we go in and now 2020 hits. I'm finally the strongest I've been like on top of the world coming out of 2019 world championships, literally a two-time world champion out of that competition and going into Tokyo and then COVID hits and the Gosh. world shuts down. Yeah. And at that point, my husband and I were already putting plans in place to start trying for a family. The minute we got home from Tokyo, yeah. we knew after we got married, we were so jazzed to have a family, but there was no way with the surgeries I was having that I could rehab surgeries and go through a pregnancy and be back in time for Tokyo. So we decided after Tokyo, we'd start a family and all of that changed. And I think that when I ultimately get there, there's the awareness of that journey and understanding that I've been fighting now at this point for nine years for this. Wow. Since Mm. I got off the podium on September 2nd, 2012. And there's also the awareness because of the past 18 months that what I'm there doing is about something so much bigger than me. And I think that all of that wrapped together is just this, this understanding of perspective. And for me personally, the, the pride I have in knowing that I showed up to the fight and I literally just kept fighting and I kept my values intact. I kept my integrity intact 
And I allowed myself to lead with passion and purpose and, and surround myself with a community of people that believed in this. And ultimately also the pride in knowing that what I represent isn't just about Mallory anymore. It's about doing my part so our next generation doesn't have to ask what about me. It's about making mm. sure that that 18-year-old version of me, whoever he or she is, whatever stage they are in their life, doesn't have to look to the world around them and feel like there's not a place for them in this mm. society. Yeah, yeah. And That's so good. a lot of emotions, Jamie. Oh my gosh, I so many emotions. I love it. Well, let me tell you, Mallory, you now have the entire Ivy family. There's six oh of us. Oh my gosh, for sure. We We're are, in. I have never seen a swim meet except for at the Olympics. So like, you know, every, I've watched all the Olympics. Well, you're but, Olympian. Um, Cause I'm right, an Olympian. Right, yeah, Olympians watch Olympians. Part of the club, yeah. But we are going to be cheering for you so loud yeah. um, here. And I cannot wait to introduce our kids to you and tell them all about you and your story and your perseverance and just you are really an inspiration and I don't know how that feels for you except for I'm grateful for your life I'm grateful for the way God is using um, you in this world and I'm grateful for the way that you're making a difference for people in our country and in the world and how they view people with disabilities because it matters and it's important and um, we love the work you're doing and it was a joy just talking to you it's just very very encouraging and I hope everybody that's listening you know realizes that we all have things in our life that could potentially hold us back but resilience and determination and like you said getting up every day I'm going to show up and I'm just going to do it is such an incredible quality that everybody has the ability to to possess that quality and so thank you for that reminder today thanks for sharing your story with us we are so grateful to get to hear a little bit from you well thank you guys so much I really appreciate you having me when it comes to listing your home for sale everyone and their mom has advice Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brands Park American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today okay Erin so I have been reading her book Limitless up to this interview and I have been I was looking so forward to this and I filled you in and I told you all about her but was it more than you expected yeah it was way more it was way more than I expected and she was just like really full of life too like you could tell she was zealous not just about you know telling about a book or telling about her story but she was zealous about what she's actually believing and that is there's hope Mm. you can get through anything you are strong enough to actually get through any kind of like thing that would normally you know want to overcome you and take you over yeah one of my favorite things that she talked about in our interview today was how you can experience two emotions at the same time and then both actually be true that you can have sad 
and happy and they can coexist. And I know that you and I have personally had times in our lives where we have had to coexist within two emotions. And so anyone that's listening to this, whether you have had a, you know, an injury that's left you paralyzed or not, you have these moments. And I was just so encouraged by that reminder. Yeah, we hope that you loved this episode and uh, would believe the things that she's talking about. And we know you're also going to love her book, Limitless 2, The Power of Hope and Resilience to Overcome Circumstance. All right, guys, we have so many more episodes coming up for you in this season. I hope you're subscribed. You can listen wherever you get podcasts. Go subscribe to On the Other Side with Aaron and Jamie Ivey and find us on Instagram. It's On the Other Side Pod. Today's show was mixed and edited by Aaron Campbell. Show notes were written by Abby Castell. Show graphics and videos were made by Rachel Ray. And the show is produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Please share this show with a friend if you loved it. It's how most people find out about podcasts. Thank you for listening to On the Other Side with Jamie and Aaron Ivey. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated.